Good morning. It's so good to see a great, beautiful February or January morning. I'm already in February. It's just like a leader in that. Always is the future. I want you to take out your Bibles. We're going to turn to Proverbs 29, 18. We're going to also look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. We're also going to go to Matthew in chapter 6, verse 11, which is a part of the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer is a better title for that. We have some very special guests here today. Can we give our first-time guests a big break? Thank you so much for being here, be so kind to take that communication card out right in front of you, the seat back pocket in front of you. If you fill that out, take it to our guest services desk out front to the left and uh, give that to them. They'll give you a free t-shirt, whatever size you need, and they book and we'll send you a gift, a gift in the mail, Chick-fil-A gift card. Uh, we love blessing people here at Ridge Church. Also, don't forget to sign up for a small group coming up in February. Go ahead, tackle that. You can sign up at uh, Bridge. Just text the word Bridge to the number 94,000. The number 94,000. Let's read our text today. Proverbs 20, 29, verse 18. It says, when there is no clear prophetic vision, look at that. When there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word. The revelation of what? The revelation of what? What is the word? It's the Bible. 66 books written to us by 40 different authors over 1,500 years inspired by God himself. They wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So every prophetic word has to follow the revelation of God's word. We're living in a day where people are, have itching ears and they want to hear prophetic words. And a lot of times those prophetic words don't line up with the word. I mean, all prophetic words have to line up with the word. If it doesn't line up with the word, just, just throw it out. Because God's given us a revelation of his word. I believe in prophecy. I believe in the prophetic gifts, the word of knowledge, word of wisdom. But all that gifts of the spirit have to line up with God's word. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. One translation says, without a vision, the people perish or they cast off restraint. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 and 9. And this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, but I will stay on at Ephesus. He's writing to them from Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a great commercial city. It was a city of commerce. It was a, a city that was very, um, uh, a lot of elite people stayed there in that city. It, was, it had an art district. It had a contemporary library of the first century called Celsus. It was a library that had 1,200 scrolls in that. Over in the year 262, when Ephesus was destroyed, that library was burned down, and a lot of those scrolls were burned up with it. Ephesus was a place where philosophers hung out at the temple of Artemis. Artemis was a goddess that the Romans and the first century thought came out of heaven, and they worshipped her idol in this temple. And Paul is in this area, and he's preaching the gospel. 
He's preaching it effectively. When he first gets there, he meets around 12 disciples that were baptized into John's baptism, but never baptized into Jesus. And so he preached the word, and he said, we've never heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he baptized them in Jesus' name. They laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they began to speak in tongues. And then Paul goes to the temple the Jewish temple, and for two years he preaches the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the revelation that he received from Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. And he's preaching. Eventually some of the religious crowd get upset with him because he's causing an uproar in the city of Ephesus. They kick him out. And then he goes and borrows a school and begins to teach in the school where all the philosophers would hang out and the grammarians who studied language hung out and he is causing such a stir in the city of Ephesus because people are coming to Christ and they're leaving the false idols of, of the pagan world and they create such a mess that they want to kick Paul and all the disciples out of the city. And so he says, but I will stay on at Ephesus. How many of us would stay in a place that people were trying to kick us out of? Paul was not a wimp. He was a man's man. He said, until Pentecost. Pentecost is the Jewish feast of harvest where they gave thanksgiving to God for the harvest of first fruits. He says, because a great door, look what he says, a great door of effective work has been opened to me. Paul saw in that city of Ephesus that there was a great door of effective work that the Holy Spirit had opened to him. But look what he says, and there are many who oppose me. Matthew 6, verse 11, in the Lord's Prayer that we've been teaching on the last several weeks, he says, give us today our daily bread. What God is trying to teach us in those six words is not to worry about tomorrow's provision, just concentrate on today. The reason many of us deal with anxiety today is because we're thinking about tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow's in the future. It's in the womb. Yesterday's in the tomb. Live in the present. That's the gift God's given you. Live in the present. So when we begin to think about Bridge Church in 1998, this is Vision Sunday. We often talk about what God's done in the previous year, what God wants to do this year. But I want to give you a timeline of Bridge Church. This year, we celebrate 25 years of ministry here at Bridge Church. Come on, give God a hand. God's done tremendous things. If you join us, give God a hand wherever you're at. The car will look. Just hold your stand. But here at home, give God uh, 25 years. First day of January 1998, TNG and I, Pastor TNG and I, moved to Virginia Beach from Augusta, Georgia. We had pastored the church there for two and a half years and felt the call of God to step out and pioneer work here in Virginia Beach. And we moved on the first day of January. She was driving a brand new Toyota Camry, and I was driving a U-Haul truck. She could go much faster than me. But we pulled in Virginia Beach and moved into an apartment, two-bedroom, two-bath apartment. God was with us. We had no children. We 
were Po. You know what Po is? That's one level to love pool. Uh, the only thing we had was love. I mean, I'm going I'm to let all the men know. Guys, your wife can live on love for about three years. After that, they need new couches. <laughs> they need new beds, new homes. They'll live on love, man. They'll, they'll follow you to just a one-bedroom apartment. But after a while, you gotta you got to step up your game, amen? And uh, so we were living, and while we were here this first couple weeks, we began to tell people about Bridge Church, Pastor Scott, along with Robin moved here from Richmond, Virginia. You don't know this about Pastor Scott and myself. We went to college together. He was a year behind me, but we were great friends along with his brother in college. And when I came to Virginia Beach, I reached out to him. I knew he was living in Richmond. And so he moved here and helped start this church, get it off the ground. And he himself been here 25 years along with Pastor Tangie and I. And, and, and so we began to reach out to people. We were we first met at 1707 Divin Street in Virginia Beach. That's near Regent University. We met in a house that was about 1,700 square feet. And we began to meet those first two weeks. And I was out of town preaching in my hometown one Sunday a couple weeks later. And uh, that Sunday night, my dad passed away. And so I had to preach his funeral. I preached his funeral. It was, a, it was a tough season. It was a Sunday night. It was the 18th of January. So January 18th, the 25 years since my dad went to heaven. That's, that's a long time. I preached his funeral, stayed around for several more days, helped my mom, helped my siblings get some things together, clean out my dad's closets and all that kind of stuff, wrap up some work, and headed back to Virginia Beach when I got a call. Now, when I got a call, it wasn't on a smartphone. How many of you remember the Nokia's? They were about that long. And you could buy a little clip and put it on your hip and make you feel rich, even though you were caught. And I walked around and said, my mom called me. She said, son, I got some bad news. You need to turn around and come back home. Your grandmother just passed away. And, and so I turned around. And it was kind of weird to me because I just spoke to my grandmother. I just went to her house. and. She was sweeping her floors and she was happy and she was like, son, when I pass away, she called me son because I was her favorite grandson, grandchild. And, uh, and then she said, will you preach my funeral when I go to heaven? I said, sure, grandma, but you ain't going nowhere. It wasn't a few days later, she was gone. And uh, so I preached her funeral, wrapped up those little sets, came back to Virginia Beach and began to continue to plant this church. How many of you know, just because you step out and do something for God doesn't mean there won't be opposition or hard times? See, after my dad and my grandmother passed away so close together, that was an ample opportunity to quit and blame God. See, it's not he who starts the race that gets the prize, it's he who finishes the race. There are a lot of people that start things, but there are a few finishers. How many of you know Jesus is the finisher? The Bible says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Whatever he starts in your life, he's going to finish it. And so we came back here, we began to gather at 1707 Bivens Street, and we grew in that house pretty rapidly. Within about 10 weeks, that last time we met in that house, we had 65 people in a 1,700-square-foot home. They were hanging from everywhere. They were eating. How many of you know, anytime you have food, people come? I remember growing up in a country church. They used to have what we call homecomings. 
Homecoming was no more than a big supper table. And guess what? Thousands, it seemed like, people would come. I'm kind of squirmish when I'm eating sometimes. I don't eat everybody's cooking. Anybody eat everybody's cooking? So when I would go to homecoming, I would locate my mama's pots. I knew my mama was very clean. But, you know, when, when you look at the Gospels, you discover this. And this is a good church for Jesus was a foodie. <laughs> Jesus loved food. Read the Gospels. Every time you see Jesus, he's reclining at a table. He's eating. If he's not eating, he's multiplying food for people to eat. Come on. We gather around communion. We call that the Last Supper. Jesus was serving people. Why? Because there's something sacred about the table. We make those events highly uh, food-oriented. Because we, if you look at that, you can tell what I mean. 65 people in this place, and eventually we moved to Rosemont Elementary School Easter Sunday of 1998. And on Easter Sunday, 1998, Rosemont Elementary School, we had about 130 in attendance. From there, we stayed in that elementary school for probably two years, year and a half, two years. Then we moved to Green Run High School, which was a larger auditorium. It was dark, but it was large. And we moved in there and stayed there for about two and a half years, waiting on Lansdowne High School to be built because we wanted to go into a new facility. And so in Virginia Beach, they don't let churches stay in schools a very long time without a plan. So they pushed us out of Green Run High School, and we had to go back to Rosemont Elementary School. The first time we met at Rosemont Elementary School, we were in the cafetoria. Anybody know what a cafetoria is? It's a cafeteria with a little stage. And that was the first time. The third time, the second time we went back to Rosemont Elementary, we went into the gym. The first week, it sounded like an echo box. There was no sound proofing in there. You turn on the sound system, it was so crazy. And the second week, we came back to Rosemont Elementary. The next Sunday, in between Sundays, the school had the bright idea of sanding the gym floor and putting polyurethane on the gym floor. There's one thing you got to understand about polyurethane. I probably should say this. If you want to get high, smell it. But that week, we went to church, and everybody had a buzz. I had a buzz, man. I was preaching with a buzz, man. I think everybody got saved that Sunday, man. All the sinners were repenting. They were crying. I think it was just a polyurethane coming up in the second heaven. You know, they were like, what? Well, they were like, John, man. I, I've seen things that I can't even share. You know, they were in third heaven up there. And so we stayed there in Rosemont Elementary School the second time in three months. And then we moved to Lansdowne High School, the brand new auditorium, which was beautiful. We stayed there three years. We bought 18 acres of property here at 3168 Indian River Road. The three years we grew for about 225, 250 people in that school. Like I said, they put pressure on you. They want you to move from school to school. So we had to move out of Lansdowne, and then we went to Salem Middle School. Our staff often laugh about this. We call that the wilderness. It was the only place Bridge Church did not grow. 
Actually, we decreased by about 40 people, and we did everything. We had outreaches. We did the same thing we had always done. It was just the location. How I many you know? If you want real estate, location, location, location. Amen. That's what it's about, location. And so about three years into that, we bought another 10 acres right adjacent to this 18 acres, which gave us a little over uh, 28 acres here. And then we moved to AMC Theater. Come on, somebody. You can smell popcorn for days. Stains in all the seats. And we would set up stages, and we rented out like four different, five different theaters. It was packed out. We grew by about 20%. And while we were in AMC Theater, we were building this facility that you're sitting in today. Now, the children's wing behind us was not on the first initial building. We only had this side as children's classrooms. And as soon as we moved in within a few months, we outgrew this building, went to a second service, then eventually a third service. We had three services in this building every Sunday morning. And so we began to outgrow this. And God blessed in tremendous ways. God gave us vision Five years after moving in here, we began our Greenbrier campus over in Chesapeake, which is doing well and growing, actually outgrowing the building that they're in right now. And we're looking for another building because it's just, they're going to have to go to three services. If you know anything about multiple services, two's pretty good. When you get to three and four, I'm up here preaching. I'm like, did I say that the first service, second service, third service, or fourth service? That's the way Easter is, man. And I, I forget where I'm at because here in this building, we do six services across Easter weekend. And uh, so we, we, we planted Greenbrier as a campus. And last year, we launched our third campus in Northeast North Carolina. And their first service, they had over 200 people in attendance. Come on, give God a, a big hand. God is a good God. 25 years. We're going to celebrate it all year long, 25 years. In March, we're going to have a big day. We're going to show some video of years, uh, pictures from years gone by. It's going to be an extraordinary big day. We're going to celebrate 25 years of God's goodness. Did you know vision is the ability to see and sense the direction that God's leading? It's the ability to see and sense. In the Bible, seeing is sensing. Bible says we are led by the Holy Spirit. So, so much we don't see it with our natural eyes. We see it with our spiritual eyes. And sometimes our spiritual eyes are blinded by what's going on around us, whether it's emotional pain, distress, the things that we go through rob us of spiritual vision. Paul understood that spiritual vision was eternal vision. And this spiritual vision could wane if we didn't stay in the presence of God, if we didn't pray, and if we didn't fast. That's why we start every year, 21 days of prayer and fasting. We've been doing that since the beginning of Bridge. It's not we're trying to starve ourselves, we're trying to, you know, self-mutilation. That's not what that is. Fasting and prayer does not twist the arm of God. It positions us to hear from God better. That's all it does. And tonight we're going to celebrate the end of the fast with a, a combined night of worship right here. You need to be here. I know Dallas and San Francisco are playing. You can go ahead and put it down, but Dallas is going to win. And it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And, but 
be in this building at 6 o'clock. We're going to pray for everybody that's in here. We're going to anoint you with a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit for this year. We're going to have testimonies, and we're going to have worship, and we're going to pray. And then you can go home and watch the second half of Dallas and San Francisco. Uh, but it's going to be a great night as we end this fast, 21 days of prayer and fasting, that God is beginning to work in our hearts and oftentimes the scales have to be removed off our eyes, just like Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, when he was on his way to Damascus, Jesus knocked him off his beast, and he looked up and saw a bright light, and Jesus spoke out of that light and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? At that moment, Saul was converted, but he lost his eyesight. He gets off and wanders to Ananias' house, Ananias lays his hands on him, anoints him, the scales, the Bible says something like scales fell from his eyes, and Saul was able to see, he had fresh vision, and I'm praying that God gives us fresh vision, because this is not the day to shrink back, this is not the day to grow complacent, this is not the day to be like the church at Ephesus, or the church of Laodicea, where we become very lukewarm, this is the day to be on fire, this is the day that God wants to awaken his church, and awaken, awaken the United States and the world, I just believe we're on the precipice of the third great awakening in our nation and around the world. I believe that with all my heart. I, I just feel the, the undercurrent of that. I feel the, the vibrations. I feel the earthquaking under my feet that God is going to awaken his church in a supernatural way. I believe that. See, vision is a clear mental image of a preferable future. George Martin said that. It's a clear mental image of a preferable future. Your life always gravitates toward what you see. If you see through the eyes of pessimism, your life becomes very pessimistic. If you look at the world through the lens of pessimism, if you look at the United States through the lens of pessimism, guess what happens? You'll constantly say to yourself, the world's going to hell and I ain't asking. And that's not true. Do you think God's going to let evil win? No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. God always saves the best for last. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. Guess what they said? Man, he saved the best for last. This wine is unbelievable, man. This is great wine. I believe an outpouring of God's spirit on our nation. God is saving the best for last. And you are part of that generation that God wants to awaken, that God wants to use in the earth. See, leadership is the ability to translate vision into reality. Whatever God's placed in your heart, he, he empowers you to translate that from just a vision, just from a dream, into reality. See, I saw this church when I was in college, but I had to walk out the process, and I had to walk with God, and I had to work with God, I had to partner with God, along with my wife, Pastor Scott, and all the other pastors, to see that vision become a reality. Most of us want a dream, but we don't want work. You see, we think work is bad, but work is sacred. You are created to work. I know God, government wants to be God, so you don't have to work, but that's not God. That's government. 
In God's kingdom, you work. And your rewards are based on the way you manage what God gives you. So in the parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, the one guy who got one talent, he buried it. And when the master came back, he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard taskmaster. So I took that talent, I took that money you gave me, and I buried it. And I knew when you came back, I could find it. So I dug it up, and I brought it back to you. And you know what the, serv- the master said to the servant? He called him a wicked servant. Why? Because he mismanaged what he placed in his hands to manage and multiply He did not multiply the talent that he was given. Many of you are sitting in it here today, and you're not managing the talent, the treasure, the the ability that God's given you, and you're sitting on your blessed assurance waiting for God to do something, and God wants you to get up and work with him. God works with us in partnership. Amen. I know I'm speaking to a generation, a lot of people that disdain work. Let me tell you something. A lot of people want to retire. I found out most people, when they retire, they stop and they sit down and they die. Retirement is not in the Bible. Even if you retire from a job, you need to keep working. You need to do something. You need to direct your focus and your passion some other direction. Why? Because when you cease working, you stop living. Oh, that's good preaching. Yeah. <laughs> you get home that wasn't for anybody, that was for all the people online. <laughs> Proverbs 29 18. Let's look at that one more time. It says, When there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. People quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Here at Bridge Church, our vision flows out of our mission. Our mission here is to connect all people to the person, power, and purpose of who? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not, it's not connecting them to Pastor Archie. It's not being counseled by Pastor Archie. It's connecting them to the person, power, and purpose of Jesus. That is our mission. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why we keep expanding in campuses. We want to connect people. Our values are this right here, to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. I'm going to say that one more time. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. The last three flow out of the first. If you don't know God, you don't know anything. Everything in life flows out of knowing God. The problems that we're having in our society today, the breakdown of family, transgenderism, the redefinition of marriage, trying to remake society, comes out of a lack of knowing God. Romans 1 says they did not know how to be human because they did not know God. Your humanity is directly connected to knowing God. Jesus came to give us not just salvation, but he came to give us a picture of true humanness. He is the picture of the epitome of being human, compassionate, powerful, loving, kind, servant-driven. Jesus is that picture. The Bible starts in a garden, and it will end in a garden. During that time, we've got to know God, and when we know God, we find freedom. How do we find freedom? 
we meet a person called truth. Jesus is the truth. Truth literally means unhiding. What did Adam do when he sinned in the garden? He hid from God. Why? Because sin makes you hide. Truth comes in. A person called truth. Jesus comes in and says, you don't have to hide anymore because I bore your shame and your sorrow on the cross. No matter what you've done, you can come in front of me and you don't have to hide. You see, most people hide behind religion. You know what religion is? Religion is a place where rules rule. And so most churches are built on rules and not relationships. So if church becomes a place where rules rule, if you don't do the rules, you can't rule. Religion does not connect you to Jesus. It actually creates a substitute for Jesus. Amen. And, and, and so we find freedom when we find truth, who is a person. We discover purpose, why we were created. You can't understand why you were created until you know God. And then your life will make a difference. Your life will make a difference in the world. See, we're here to engage in mission. See, you can either engage culture or you can try to escape culture. Most Christians are trying to escape the planet. You only find that attitude in Christianity. There's no other religion in the world trying to escape the planet. Every other religion is trying to take over the planet. Jesus said, occupy until I come. That word occupy means to do business. He's saying go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's not talking about go to Africa, go to Guatemala, go to Honduras. He's talking about the world. Spheres of influence. How many of the local church becomes powerful when it's localized? Write that down. The local church becomes powerful when it's localized. When the church has ceased to be localized, it loses its power. Meaning this, if we're going to be a local church in Virginia Beach, when we leave here and go do business, we're not doing business for ourselves. We're doing business for the kingdom. Now, you might be a businessman. You might own a company. And you might have a home-based business. And you might work in the educational system. You might be a politician. You might be a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever you are. When you go into that sphere, when you go into that world, when you go into that place to do business, you're bringing the kingdom of God with you into that place and you're being the salt and the light of the world. I'm not trying to get out of the planet. I'm not, I'm not ready for Jesus to come. I want to see my grandchildren. I'm telling you, what if Jesus doesn't come for a thousand years? Oh, it's getting bad. There are people in the world today that think they're in the tribulation. The great tribulation. Go to China. Go to Iraq where they're being beheaded. They think they're in the great tribulation. In America, if taxes go up, we think we're in the great tribulation. Jesus come in. Some of y'all, if you think a Republican becomes president, you think you're in the great tribulation. Republicans, if a Democrat becomes president, you think you're in the great tribulation. Come on, man. You think God's kingdom is stopped? By somebody in the White House? 
If you think that, your God's way too small. He's way too small. He's way, way, way. Incidency God. Some of us have an incidency God and a big devil. I want to tell you today, God and Satan are not fighting. There's not some cosmic battle in the second heaven going on. Jesus said, it is finished. He won the battle. In fact, Satan was kicked out of heaven. So bad was that kick. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. How do you know? If he fell from heaven that fast, he can fall from your life that fast. You just got to take over him, over your life. You think about this. Ministry takes place in the context of church. What you think about that? Ministry. It's this coming together. It's called body ministry. That's why church is so important. I know the pandemic. I, I know the spirit of this age tried to, to break up churches and break up small groups. I, I understand that. But church is not sitting on your couch looking at TV. We're going to do it. I think it's going to be hybrid from now on. We always have watching. Church is when you come together with other believers so that they can encourage you, strengthen you, build you up, and you can do the same for them. Come on, somebody. Two is better than one. When one falls, the other one can pick them up. I don't know about you, but there have been some times, it's times in my life, I need to, I need to pick me up. And, and it wasn't God that came out of heaven to pick me up. It was somebody in skin that loved Jesus that said, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I'm yes. with you. I'm going to pick you up. I know you're going through this dark time. You lost your sister. You lost your uncle. And this happened to you. I know that, but I'm praying for you. Look me in the eyes. And they would say, I am praying for you. What were they doing? They were ministering to me. They were picking me up. They were strengthening me. Jesus had a small group. How much more? The Son of God had a small group. He had 12. And we got super Christians that want to live in isolation. I can make it. I don't need the church. I love Jesus, but I hate his church. That's why you come to me and say, Pastor, I would love you, but I hate Pastor David. Look at the people. It's being of my life. Well, I'm preaching good in this house today. It's coming to hear. Mission is coming. I'll say it one more time. Ministry is coming because we're doing body ministry. And most Christians love that. Oh, yeah, man. I just love going to church. I feel so encouraged. But when you tell them to go, huh? Go. Huh? I don't want to stay at church, Pastor. Let's have church every night. Every time you got to get something out of I'm going to kick you out. Go. It's like your kids, you know. They still 30 or 40 trying to give you out. Oh, y'all ain't right. Time to go. So that's what missions is this, is this going. Look at Paul said, first Corinthians, I got her now. 16, 8 through 9. But I was saying Ephesus is with Pentecost because a great door of effective work has been opened for me or to me. And there are many here. Is that a policy? There are many. There are three things you can expect when you engage mission. Number one, 
opposition. If you think you're going to expand the kingdom of God in any sphere of life, whether it's business, the political realm, the educational system, the media realm, the arts, whatever, if you think you're going to expand the kingdom in the world without opposition, you're lost. Because every opportunity carries with it its own opposition. Yeah. There will be opposing forces that come against you. You know there's opposition against the church in our nation? Do you feel it? Do you feel people trying to make you feel weird for believing certain things? We live in a nation and a time where good is being called evil and evil is being called good. That we're trying to marginalize people. Even athletes are feeling the pressure of being marginalized because they don't want to celebrate gay pride. How many of you know the world's trying to shape its own moral code of salvation? And if you don't bow to that moral code, you don't fit in. That's why. That's why a governor in New York can get up and say, if you don't believe the way we believe, you believe. And guess what? They are leaving. 65,000 of them left this past year. And so that's the opposition, that's the pressure that you're feeling. But Paul lived in the same kind of day. Paul did not live in a pristine time. Did you know 16 out of the 17 Roman emperors were either gay, bisexual, or homosexual, or transsexual? <laughs> He lived in that culture. But in Romans, he writes in verse 2 of chapter 12, do not be conformed to what? This world. The church will not grow because it conforms to this world and caters to this world and looks like the world. The church grows when it becomes a counterculture to the world and says this is a different way of living. This is a different way of living. This is a different way of acting. This is a different morality. Somebody's got to get some guts. The madness in our society is, is, is deafening and overwhelming the people. And so here's the, here's the thing. They want to silence, the spirit of this age wants to silence your voice. Why? Because you can only exercise authority to the level that you're willing to speak up. And if you don't speak up, every one of your freedoms will be gone. Don't be scared to speak up. Don't let people push you in a corner. There is something in our nation called free speech. Free speech. We have a responsibility to the next generation. For many of you, I'm a lot older than you. I grew up in a different culture at a different time. I understand that. Some people want to call me a dinosaur. But that's okay. They tried to bury the word of God throughout the centuries and it still resurrects itself. We must stand even though there's opposition. The opposition will be the world, the flesh, the devil. Those things will abolish you. Number two, there's going to be options. Number one, you got the option of standing still. You just want to stand still. We just want to stand still at a circuit. 
The next one is this right here. You're gonna go, you, you're gonna stand still or you're gonna go back. You're gonna go back to Egypt just like just like the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, they wanted to go back because they felt like Egypt was a lot better than uh, you know transversing through the desert to the promised land. You know, it took a little work to get to the promised land, it was much easier. Because here's the problem: sometimes it's a whole lot easier to live in bondage than to live in freedom. Because freedom carries a burden. What's the burden responsibility? So listen to me. Freedom has a responsibility. That's the burden of freedom. Our burden is to stay free. Each one of you have a, a burden on your life. America's not, you know, America is a great country, but it has its problems. But we need people that say, hey, I feel this burden. I'm, I'm going to be free. I'm going to be a free man. Or we can move forward. Free church going to move forward. We have opposition, but we have options. Our option is this right here. We're going to move forward. We're going to keep walking forward. God's given us a mission. Here's our opportunities in 2023. Number one, we want to see 600 people get saved across our campuses. 600 people. We can be above that if everybody gets on mission and goes out beyond these doors and becomes a missionary on the mission field of the American soil, wherever you are. I'm not talking about you don't have to be belligerent. You don't have to stand on the street corner and tell people they're going to hell. That's crazy. But you can invite them into your house and cook them to dinner. Jesus was constantly discipling people around the table. I mean, when you're around the table, Good food, everybody's guard comes down. That's why, that is exactly why restaurants are packed on Friday night. Why? The guard comes down. People love relationships. We want 200 new volunteers across our campus. We want 100 right here at our main campus. And you're a part of that. Don't sit down. Say, hey man, we got a mission. We're going forward. We want to see what God has to do. We want to see 125 people get baptized here at Bridge Church. Do you believe, for me, believe with me on that? We want 300 participants in small group. 300. We had well over that free COVID. We're just building that back up. No COVID made people crazy. Made all of us. And I'm not downplaying COVID. I had it last year. I was in the hospital this time last year. But how many of you know? I'm not going to fear COVID. I'm going to fear God. Here's the problem. Most people in church say they love Jesus, but they don't fear God. I mean, it's possible to love Jesus, but not fear God. When you only love Jesus, guess what? Your lifestyle never changes. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, Proverbs says this, the fear of God is to hate evil. Not in somebody else's life, my life. I can love Jesus, and not want Jesus to transform my life. But when the fear of God comes in my life, I say, I need to walk in purity. I need to walk in holiness. Because the fear of God will keep you from evil. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean. That's 1,400 Let me say it this way. Jesus said, I am the gate. If you come through the gate, you're on a new road. Jesus said, narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Here it is. You have a road, just, just picture Indian River Road. It has big ditches on both sides. Do you know what keeps you out of the ditch, that one ditch that is legalism? 
But there's another ditch called lawlessness. What keeps you out of that ditch? The fear of God. Did you know all sin is lawlessness? So if I walk in the fear of God and the love of God, it keeps me from legalism, but it also keep, keeps me from lawlessness. Of living in the old way I want to live. Because I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I said, I love Jesus. Yeah, but you're going out. And you're acting like a word. Why? Because you have no fear of God. You have no reverent fear of God. God's holy. And out of His holiness flows His love. Let's keep going. We need 2,000 first time gifts across all kids. That's what we want. 2,000. How does it happen? We all invite you. We all invite you. I mean, you know, if you've got a remedy and people are dying, why not invite them? If it's good news, why not invite them? We're going to expand services. Not more church service, but different services. We'll have two marriage nights this year. Two marriage nights. We've got one coming up the 10th of February on Friday night. We're going to have a child here. Elementary. Go out to eat, come here at 7 to spend. It's not going to be a church service. It's going to be fun, informative, life changing. My wife and I are going to be speaking, our campus pastors. We want to pour into your life. My wife and I have been married 20, I don't know, 20 years or something like that this year. I'll know before it gets here. If I don't know, it's true. for me. Want to pour and go like, how I many you know marriage is not easy? I just take marriage. Mm -hmm. Marriage not easy. Not only that, we want to continue one night women's night this year with a women's conference in May. There'll be a women's conference. And that's usually passed. You might as well go ahead and start signing up. You need to just pass Pastor Kennedy. Night on Pastor Archie. Two men's nights. Now, I'm not talking about these men's nights. You're not going to be like women's nights. <laughs> We're not going to be patting each other on the shoulder. How are you doing? How are you feeling? It's going to be men's nights. Probably going to involve some food. No plates. No utensils. Just food. We're probably going to peel some food. And put it on a big grill. So it's going to be men's nights. Two of them. Got one coming up in March. Eight plus nights of worship. Why? Because we believe there's something that happens at these nights of worship. I want you to come to this night of worship. Don't, don't, I, I know it's raining a little bit. Don't let that little bit of rain keep you from church. You won't let it keep you from working all. Come on, just get out here and worship God and see what God does in your life. Our Christmas offering, we want to raise $50,000 at this campus alone for our Christmas offering this coming up Christmas holidays. What does that do? It helps us expand. I believe we can do that so easy. So easy. It shouldn't even be a, it shouldn't even be a strain. We raised 34000 this past year. and didn't even push it hard. We're going to be intentional about pushing it hard. We're going to host the Global Leadership Summit here at Bridge Church August 3rd and 4th. Come on. Global Leadership Summit right here. What is that? It, it's not a church service. It's meant for the business world. There'll be Probably 50 to 100 nurses here. It's already 30 people signing up. This is a 
huge worldwide organization. It's going to be hosted right here. It's going to be businessmen, businesswomen, first responders right here in this room. You can come, you own business, even if you don't own a business. Craig Rochelle, Robert Marks, great CEOs of, of different companies will be teaching right here on this big screen. And we'll have food for people. There's that word again, food for people. It's going to be awesome. Here's our 2023 big goal right here. We're going to launch Bridge School Ministry. I'm going to launch it right here. I'm going to tell you why we're going to launch it for the next generation. What I'm seeing in our kids, we push them to secular organizations before they have a foundation. And when we push them to secular colleges, they eat them for lunch because they have a biblical foundation, a moral foundation. We raise them up in church, and then we sacrifice them on the altar of secular education. And we're giving our babies to secular education that rips them apart and takes all the morality out of them and rebrands them and retrains them. And that I can't tell you the times that parents have come up and said, I'm going to my kid. That's not even the same child that left my Not, this school of ministry is not just to hold a microphone or to work in a church. The school of ministry is a foundation. We have pastors on staff. Many of our pastors have master's degrees and doctorate degrees. These people are well qualified. More than that, they have life experience that they can pour into this next generation. We'll probably start with 11th graders, 12th graders, even beyond that. So we can build in them a foundation of who God is and why they were designed. If we can teach kids their purpose before they go to college, they won't waste money, time, and energy. We send our kids off to college and they don't know what they want to be. And most of it, it becomes pride on the parents. My parents, my, my, my daughter's going to Virginia Tech or my daughter's going to Virginia. My daughter's going to North Carolina State. And it becomes more of a parent living vicariously through their kid. And the kids saying, why am I here? I don't even know what I want to do. <laughs> and so they end up wasting parents' money, not knowing what they want to do, and they get some degree that they never use. I appreciate it. 30 years ago, when I was sitting in a college class, after that class, I talked to my professor. He said 30 years ago that most kids today don't need to go to college until they're 21 because they do not know what they want to do. They don't know what direction they will take in life. It would be better for them to go work, figure it out, then go to school, and make it work. So that's what we're saying. Here's the prayer Jesus he gave it to us as long as he said, give us today, not just the work of the ministry of local church, but beyond the four walls of this church to impact culture. What a great vision to go beyond these four walls. We serve the vision when we serve God and people. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I just thank you. God, this is going to be a great year. It's going to be an awesome year. God, even as we gather tonight, it's this night of worship. God, as we celebrate the goodness of God, as we hear testimonies, as we partake in communion, as we pray for one another, God, a release of your divine presence, Lord, will be released in this place and in people.
God, the, the vision goals that you've given us to reach the mission for this year, Lord, I just pray, God, that would become a reality. God, it's not coming out of my head, but it's coming out of your heart. Look, you've got a heart for generations. God, you love all generations. God, I just pray, God, that you would captivate people by your presence. God, that Bridge Church would be an agent of change and transformation in our culture. God, that we would not want to escape the culture, Lord, but we would engage the culture. God, that we would engage the culture just like Paul did at Ephesus because there's an effectual open door of ministry that's been open to us. God, we know there will be options and opposition. May we see the opposition as an opportunity to move forward with mission today. So I pray a fresh anointing to come on your people today. I just want you to raise your hands where you're at. I just believe the Holy Spirit wants to anoint you.